And we are going to continue um, in our study. We are going um, through the topic of wisdom. And um, today, if I had to come up with a title for this message, I was thinking, what does wisdom ask for? Um, it, it, it's something specific, and, and it's not always obvious, let me say. Um, I, I love that, you know, going back so many years to Napoleon Dynamite, when... <laughs> Pedro is campaigning and he says, vote for me and all your wildest dreams will come true. (laughs) And we've been talking about the heart, this heart that all of us have, that's at the center of our being, this thing that, that God finds of infinite worth. And this treasured heart that longs for things, but, but oftentimes we find is in a bit of turmoil as well. That the things that we long for so often aren't the things that truly delight our hearts. The things that we dream for don't always bring what we think that they will bring. And wisdom is about this level of discernment, knowing and understanding the things that are of actual value. The things that are going to bring the deepest pleasure. And I think sometimes we, we assume that, that church really isn't about that, right? That, that you come to church to sort of get corrected or reprimanded or, or put in your place. But, but this was never the tone when Jesus taught. It was always invitation, an invitation to what he called life. And what he meant by life was this deep joy that, that he didn't come that we'd, you know, not make mistakes, or he didn't come that we would like be able to get by. He came that our souls, our hearts would come to life, that they would function how they were made to function. In fact, in John 10, 10, Jesus says it's, it's the devil who he calls the thief. The thief comes to steal and rob that life, but he's come that we would have it and have it abundantly. And the study of wisdom really kind of at its essence is about that question, what is the good life? This is what Aristotle talked about. How do we be happy? And and he didn't mean happiness probably in the simplistic sense. This Greek word of eudaimonia is what um, he was after. It meant like a life lived well. Aristotle understood that it required virtue and, and that often it was a sort of holding back of our passions that to really get the things of deepest value in life, there was a level of self-control required. That if we just gave in to the the quickest temptation, that it led us into this place of diminishing returns. That the pleasure that it promised was there, but it only lasted for a moment, followed instead by this gap, (laughs) and this growing gap. The pleasure got further and further away as we pursued it. And so understanding the things that are going to truly make the heart sing, this is what the wise seek. And they seek it with discernment, and they seek it with a level of perseverance, going after this endurance. And when we read the book of Proverbs, we we find that so often this understanding of happiness is connected with a level of blessing. What we are after is the abundant life, which is a life that is blessed. God's hand is in it. And interestingly enough, one of the indicators of this blessing we see in Proverbs is wealth. 
which may surprise us. Is, is wealth that thing? I think for so many, when we talk about the desires of our hearts, we go, I could use some more money. We talked about this the other day, that, that the more money you have, the more money you think you need to be happy. Isn't that sad, but true? The average, I said this the other day, the average amount that we think we need more financially is a million dollars. Um, if I just had a million dollars, then I would be happy. And if you got that million, all of a sudden you'd be like, I just need two million dollars to be happy. But but there is a a truth to this that um, that, that poverty brings with it a sort of hardship, a difficulty. That the wise learn how to live lives that are diligent and responsible. That that we project on the future and anticipate hard times. That this is how the wise live. And by living in this way, there's a level of prosperity that comes. For instance, in Proverbs 10, verses 4 through 5, it says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. This is wisdom, right? Don't be a slacker. Don't sleep in late. If you do, you're going to lose your job. Um, Proverbs 21:17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Um, no, that probably doesn't mean like oil. Oil, that's like... Those people will be rich, but um, <laughs> but anyway, um, you see how it's, it's kind of giving us these sort of guidelines for life, how to how to shape our heart's desires, how how to long for the right things, to chase after pleasure, or to live this life of comfort, can lead us into this place of despair, can lead us into this place of poverty. Proverbs 10:15 says the wealth of the rich is their fortress, the poverty of the poor is their disaster. And it's interesting you might draw from this this sort of cuz we're oftentimes trying to do our own little math with this like oh so that means if you have wealth that means you must be diligent or if you have poverty that must mean there's something wrong with what you're doing. But but this isn't true. In fact, we live in a world filled with injustice where oftentimes people that, that are doing the right things and living diligently have what they have earned taken away. Proverbs talks about this as well. 13.23 says, a poor, person farms, uh, a poor person's farm may produce much food, but injustice sweeps it all away. So while laziness leads to poverty, and unfortunately not always, there's a lot of lazy people out there that have quite a bit of wealth, but... The, the the truth is here that poverty is a reality. It's something that we have to address. But the wise are diligent with what they have. We've talked about how Proverbs, these words of wisdom, they're not um, axioms. They're not laws. They're like the Pirate's Code in Pirates of the Caribbean where he's like, they're kind of guidelines, right? Like <clears throat> you follow these things and they're true. They're not necessarily true across the board, There's exceptions to these. And yet the wise pursue these kind of general themes. They hold to them. They seek them with diligence. And by doing this, our hearts 
are changed in the process. In the heart, again and again, Scripture reminds us, this is kind of at its core where the problem lies. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it's an interesting thing, right? That that, that what lies within all of us is, is a sort of deceptive seed. That one of the reasons why we can't just follow the longings of our hearts is because there's a, a sense that we kind of lie to ourselves about what those might be. We convince ourselves. We, we tell our own sort of narrative there. I like how Pascal famously said, the heart has its reasons which reason knows not of. There's truth to that, that, that some of these longings, they, they aren't things that we've decided or have strategized or chosen. They're just where our hearts kind of naturally draw us. And yet so often the, the sort of gravity that pulls us is towards a self-interest. We pursue possession. We pursue power. We pursue control. All of these things fail to give us what they promise. And there's this prayer that shows up in Proverbs 30 that to me is, is a wonderful prayer, wonderful one to put to memory, and it's simple. And, and Proverbs 30 is written by someone named Augur, who we don't know who that is. There's a lot of different theories about but in this proverb, he, he prays this prayer. And in verses 7 through 9, I love this. It's so pragmatic. He says, to God, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Isn't that interesting? Here's two things I'm going to ask of you. And by the way, don't refuse me. I love the the urgency of the prayer, right? And again, I think sometimes we think in order for God to hear our prayer, the, the, the posture has got to just be right. It's got to be this complete surrender. And I'm comforted by the fact that you see very human prayers that don't always reflect the, the proper posture, like do not refuse me, God, before I die. The, the urgency there is just so human. But he's saying, I want these two things, and I want them desperately. Protect me from lies. And don't make me poor or rich. Give me just what I need for today. How many of you have prayed a prayer like that? <laughs> See, you guys are brave. It's like saying, God, make me humble. You're like, no, shh, don't pray that. <laughs> like, do we really want God to answer that prayer, right? Like, I think I have enough humility. God, um, don't let me lie to myself. How many of us are brave enough to pray that prayer? Keep me from spinning the narrative so that I look like the hero of the story. I remember reading, all of us think that deep down we're Han Solo in the story. We're like a little bit bad, but we're really the good guy. Like, 
we all of us have this way of like sort of spinning the narrative so that uh, kind of comes out in our favor. This is what the heart, the deceitful heart does, right? It, it spins. It's not objective. It, it pulls things into our own self-interest. I've got this uh, little philosophical book that it, it looks like a joke book. It's, it's called On B.S., and you're like, what? There's, but you know, it's a, a philosopher writes about this idea of why we do this. And, and he identifies this. What, what is it? And there's got to be a better malarkey, maybe is a better, cleaner word for that. Why do, we, why do we do this thing where really in the end we pretend that we know more than we do? Do any of you do this? Right? Somebody says, do you know about such and such? And you're like, oh, yeah, Sure. And inside you're like, no, but I'm going to fake it till I, you know, we, we act like we know more than we do, or we pretend to know things that we don't. We, we try to feign a level of competence or something like that. When we know we're in way over our heads, we, we fake it till we make it. And here you see Augur saying, God, help me to be completely honest Help me to live in the truth and for that to be okay. Let me embrace reality. Whenever I talk about this, what immediately comes to mind is a surf trip that I took with Chuck where we went down to Nexpa down in Mexico and the surf was massive to the point where I was like, oh no, it's really big. And we went out on a day where it was huge, the hugest waves I've ever surfed. And I mean, I just remember dropping in and thinking, this is like this mountain of water. And I felt like, gosh, I was really surfing well. And, you know, and then that night I found out somebody was like, hey, we filmed you. And I was like, oh, all right. But thinking like, I can't wait to see that wave. And then, you know, they're showing and everybody, all of a sudden somebody's like, hey, there's the pastor, right? And I'm like, oh, like, I mean, it's big, I guess, but not like it looked in my head, right? I was like, no, 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 it was massive. And you're like, eh. and I thought I was so deep and I wasn't. And, you know, and you're like, I did surf better the next day, right? There's something about the truth that like beautifully corrects us. It shows us that there's more. It, it gives us a picture of the way things are. But it's painful at first. Sometimes we squirm a little bit, like, oh, do I really want the truth? Augur's like, give it to me. Don't refuse me the truth. Show me the truth. And give me just enough for today. Give me not just what I can handle. And you hear him kind of saying, because we know how I can be. You give me too little, and I'm going to steal. I'm going to resent you for it. You give me too much, I'm going to forget about you. I'm going to think I earned it myself. Is that honest? Again, you already see him practicing the truth in this prayer. God, protect me from myself. Protect me from where I know I so often run into despair and resentment or into this place of hubris 
and feeling like I've got it all under control. Malcolm Gladwell, in a a book of his called Outliers, talked about how much we need to be happy. And they had a number, but it was 2008. In 2008, they said you need $75,000, and then you have just enough. And what's interesting about that, I mean, they had done this study, right? And um, basically saying below that, you're struggling to have health care, to have, you know, some of these like basic needs. But what's interesting is in 2008, above that, it brought no greater happiness the more you have. Even though you could afford the nice meals and the cool car and the beautiful view, really in the end, people weren't any happier beyond that number. Now, I crunched it for today, just given inflation and all that, and um, turns out it's $97,000 today, according to ChatGPT. But <laughs> thank goodness for that thing. You just send it on its way. Anyway, give me just enough for today, right? And the, the truth here is it isn't – that's, that's a U.S. figure, by the way – but but contentment is is this sort of interesting thing there's there's some basic levels of need that are there and what we find is that diligence is an important part of getting to that place we're called to work hard and to be responsible to be faithful to show up when we say we're going to show up this is what wisdom does it seeks to to find that sort of number of like what does it take to live a life of contentment. But then what you find is when you reach that point, the heart then is obligated towards generosity, to giving away, to not letting it grow. And how hard that is, isn't it? How many of you feel like you have too much money? Probably very few. And we always think, oh, once I reach that level, then I will be content. Then I will have it. And the truth is you won't, right? You're going to blow right past that number. This is what the heart does. And so this prayer is this way of starting to shape our hearts now wherever you find yourself in this equation. So that we're working with responsibility, but ultimately in the end realizing that the, the heart of this prayer is drawing close to God, living in this place of trust, living in this place of dependence. I was thinking, um, you know, with this surpassing the 97,000, there's a couple great proverbs that I like here, but um, that I just thought I would read for, for perspective on this. But Proverbs 15, 16 through 17 says this, better to have little with fear of the Lord than to have great treasure with inner turmoil. A bowl of soup with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. <laughs> that awesome? So practical. Some of you are like, I could have written that. Like, come on. <laughs> or this one. The rich can pay a ransom for their lives, but the poor won't even get threatened. Isn't that the truth, right? You can kind of summarize that down to like more money, more problems. Nobody's holding the the poor person for ransom, right? They're going to go after the person with money. 
And what you see underneath all of this in shaping our hearts is helping us understand the things that actually bring us delight, right? Teaching us actually the way that we are shaped, the things that we actually crave. It's not wealth. It's not pleasure. It's not control. It's things like simplicity, intimacy, and trust. That God is going, ah, this is where like the burden is light. That when you can live in that place, live in that place of dependence, then God is near. That the wealth so often brings a blindness to God's presence and we find ourselves constantly wondering, where is God? And honestly, in order to see him, it, part of it is, is learning to lay these things aside that we don't need. We get so cluttered and burdened with all the things that we have, don't we? It's like it's Saturday, it's our day off. I think I'll spend the day fixing all the things I own that are broken. Right? That, that we're, we're trying to, to keep all these things going, all these plates spinning. And, and you see here, the wise seek a level of simplicity and wisdom and contentment in their lives. That this is a way to shape our hearts towards the one who truly gives us what we desire. I was having this conversation with my son this week and he is making a decision and kind of going back and forth and back and forth trying to navigate through all of this. And, and he said, oh, dad, I just want to be a good person. And I was like, yeah, that's my boy. And part of me is like, you're not, Gabe. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Right? Like that... Um, I mean that in the, the Chesterton way when he was asked what's wrong with the world, his response was, I am. That we want just to have a good heart, don't we? But what we have is a heart that is in conflict. And seeking the good, this is part of what we're designed to do is go after it, but go after it with intentionality. <laughs> It's a word from the Lord, Marcia, maybe. <laughs> um, that thing in us, right, that, that seeks our own, that hoards, that holds on to these things, this is the thing that we're learning to let go of. And there's something about truth that exposes that, that is so good for us, so hard but so good. But part of it is, is shaping our appetites so that that is the thing that we long for. That, that it's an acquired taste for most of us, that our natural draws towards something that's syrupy sweet. But learning the way that goodness tastes, the way contentment tastes, the way that peace of heart tastes, that's what we're after. And the way that we continue to shape that and go deeper than this is not just to live in this place of dependence upon God, but to start developing an appetite for generosity. This really, to me, is the key that's at the heart of this prayer. Give me just enough. But as the wise person continues to pursue diligently after the work that he's called to do, and there's more and more that comes their way, what do they do with it? They give it away. This is what the wise do. Proverbs 29.7 says, The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. 
Proverbs 28, 7 says, Whoever gives to the poor will lack nothing, but curses will come on those who close their eyes to poverty. That when we live in this place of dependence, we start to care about the things that God cares about. And it turns out God cares about the poor. In fact, there's a book that came out a few years ago called uh, The Hole in the Gospel. And somebody went through the Bible and cut out, like with a razor blade, cut out all the verses on giving to the poor. And for effect, he brought that book in and he held it up. And it was just filled with holes. What does the Bible talk about? Cover to cover. Feed the ones in need. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Sometimes we don't realize this, right? Jesus is saying, I'm calling you to abundant life. What does that look like? Generous a generous life. Luke 6:38 Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured to you. The, the generous as they empty themselves of the blessings that they've received are filled up and that filling refreshes our hearts. It gives us deep joy. It just makes me think, I don't know if Chris is here this morning. Chris had a chance to go take a meal to the cold weather shelter, and uh, Shirley had invited us to, to participate in this. And um, talking to Chris, Chris Bubbles anyways, but ask her about it. She just was so filled with delight, having been able to just go and serve. People are so hungry and so in need. But but who got the better deal? They got this beautiful meal that she had prepared, but her heart was just so full, so inspired. That abundant life isn't this possessing, right? It's this pouring out. If we could learn this, this is what the wise do. The wise seek to acquire that blessing so that they can give it. And by doing it, their hearts come more and more alive. Acts 20, 35. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's the secret. And it's counterintuitive, right? And it, it takes discipline that there's something in us that reacts to that. Like maybe someday, maybe when I get that million dollars, then I'll give it away. But the truth is we start practicing that right now, learning to be generous, learning to see opportunities, getting that attention off of ourselves. And this is actually where we experience the most joy. We're not consumed with ourselves. You, you think back to Augur praying, if I don't have enough, then I'll steal and I'll fall into this resentment like poor me. Or on the other side, right? If I have all this, then it's just all about me and my control. And you realize to stay in that place of trust is to stay in this self-forgetful state. This place of just being able to receive and to give from God. I think about that in my own life. I, I can remember this one morning where um, 
I had this like kind of high and low where uh, a friend of mine had quoted my dissertation in an article and a bunch of like friends that I had gone to school with and such all were reading it and going, oh my gosh, Jeff, I just read this article you were quoted in. And I was like, wow, that's like, what did I say? Like, going on, like, oh, that was actually pretty good. You know, and I, I like start feeling really good. And then I got this email that, um, came in and it said, oh, that thing, Jeff, that you had applied for, we're not considering you for. And I was like, and, and thinking, you know, how my heart is like, longs for this praise so that I can feel like bigger than I am. But then when I get bad news, I go crashing down. Maybe I'm nothing, right? That either of these places are really just like, it's pride in the flip side of pride, insecurity. And the invitation is to just sort of be in this middle space of dependence, to live in that space, inhabit that space. In this story, I, I talked about it in the book that I wrote, that I I went down to Zinc and I was just like journaling, like, I don't get it. Like, why is my heart such like back and forth? And uh, a, a man came up to the table who um, has since become a very good friend. And he walked up and he said, hey, are you the pastor of that little church? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm not a Christian or anything. And then he goes, but I come to your church sometimes and I find it really moving and wondering if we could have coffee sometime. And I joked that I was like, yeah, I'm really busy, man. <laughs> Sorry. And, um, and he and I started meeting for coffee. But, but as he left, I felt like God was saying, Jeff, just do that, right? Just do that. Just go meet with Paul, right? You don't need to worry about this or this. Just... Do this. And that's like this invitation that God gives all of us, I think. Just be this. Just be you. Don't try to be this big version of yourself that you're fabricating over here. Or don't live in this poor me. I'm such a victim. Or, you know, if I only got discovered, they'd realize how brilliant I am. Right? Like, just be in this middle place. This place of humility. This place of dependence. Choose that. Choose that space. I was sharing this with a friend of mine that, um, and I've mentioned this before too, but uh, one of my favorite things that Dallas Willard, uh, get, uh, he presented it. It's, it's since been written up, but it was this short speech that he gave at this conference on getting tenure to USC. Dallas is a brilliant spiritual teacher, but he's also a philosophy professor at USC. And every like budding Christian is like, how do I get there, right? How do I get a seat at that table? And so he gives this, here's the strategy, here's the way you do this. And what I love is it's so simple. I think disappointingly simple. Dallas says, well, I decided I would do nothing trying to secure myself or gain advancement. I'm very much a literalist in terms of the Bible. The Bible says promotion does not come from the East or West. It comes from the Lord. So, okay, I don't have to do anything about promotion. (laughs) But what I did was this. I said, I'm going to do the best work I can by God's help. 
And that meant in writing and teaching. And once again, it wasn't that I was smart. The Lord just guided me. So I worked on papers. And my idea was that if it was any good, I would be able to send it to the best journals where no one knew me and it would be accepted. There's the formula. You see everybody like, not what I was looking for. Right? Like, I just tried to do the best work I could. And then just trust God with the rest. He says this, and I have this like on my desk. I love this. He says, my strategy was this. Do really good work. Do work that you would think God had to help you with to get you there. And then do some more. Just stay at it. That's the only strategy I've had is to work in that way. And I think, oh, there's so much wisdom in that, isn't there? The wise are called to, to be diligent, to be responsible, to work, but, but not to acquire or possess. They're, they're called to live meaningful lives where we live in these bigger stories than what we might choose in our like desire for comfortability. God calls us to these bigger stories, stories that require us to, to hold on tight to his hand but never to, to rob that as a way of like massaging our ego. When we do that, we just make ourselves miserable. We lose that intimacy. So here's four reasons, I think, that the wise give like they do. Four things as we kind of come to a conclusion. And the first, in living in this way, in living in this place of contentment, in this posture of generosity, that we find so much joy in giving. I mentioned Chris, but you see this in the littlest ways. The, the people that went down during Christmas and wrapped presents at Unidos there in, um, in San Juan come back just so like grinning ear to ear. People that bring meals to someone in need. The, the little areas of getting involved and, and serving bring such joy. God's saying, I've invited you into this abundant work. And, and it can be as simple as that, or it can be much greater than that as well. I don't mean to set the bar so low, except to say, even the little things like that. Remembering that God's heart is there. So that when we go and we help those in need, we actually find that's where God is at work. We're so often saying, God, come here. God, come here and bless us. When he's saying, no, come there. Go to the margins. Go to the people in need. Not only will you find joy there, but you'll find me there. Number two, in living in this place of generosity and contentment, we find the most meaningful work that we can do. That we actually are here to be the hands and feet of Jesus, which means fighting against things like poverty and injustice. Giving a hand to those that are in need and struggling. Proverbs 29.7 again says, The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. Jesus says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. In fact, the ones that did, they're like, when did we ever serve you, Jesus? And he's like, that was me. 
Third reason we should live in such a way, the wise choose to live in this way, is that we protect our hearts from dishonesty and self-centeredness. We're going into the season of Lent. And in Lent, Lent is about fasting. It's about laying things aside. Why do we do this? Well, to exercise endurance, perseverance, the strength of our hearts, to make our hearts healthy by laying aside things that have become too comfortable, that have made our life too easy. By living in such a way, by by giving generously more than feels comfortable, we're strengthening that muscle of our heart. Paul understood this so well. In fact, he said that we as Christians were like athletes training says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. How do we do this? How do we tackle things that are bigger than us? I know what Raya's going to say. He's going to say cold plunge in the ocean. <laughs> I know. I'm such a chicken about it. But, but I'm taking my own words to heart, Raya. To do hard things, right? The wise pursue hard things. Why? It's deeply meaningful, but it also holds that small part of ourself in check, holds it back. But above all, The fourth one, by living in this middle place, in this place of honesty, in this place of contentment, we experience intimacy with God. That's this space where God inhabits. And I love this. In Philippians 4, Paul goes, here's the answer. I've found it. I've discovered this thing. He says, I learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Isn't that cool? I feel like that's taking auger just a whole nother step further, right? What, What do we do with Proverbs 30? Given the gift of the Holy Spirit here with us, right? It's like such a completion of that. He's saying, keep me there in the middle. And Paul's going, yeah, no kidding, right? Because that's where that hand of God is ours to take. That regardless of where you find yourself, that that promise is there, that in God, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the goal of the wise to remain there, to seek that hand of dependence, to experience the intimacy of that, the challenge of that. It's a hand that we take with courage, right? That leads us forward into a bigger story. But that's the desire of your heart. That's the deeper longing. That's the thing that only God can bring alive. Some questions for you to reflect on. Number one, Are you aware of ways your heart gives you dishonest advice? What does it say you you need to be happy? 
What are the advertising approaches that work on you? Right? What are the things you click on where you're like, I don't need any of it. Oh, wait, I need that. Right? There's always a way in. But, but recognizing the lie. Do you recognize the lie? That thing that comes in that your, your ears are like, ooh, that sounds really good. Then keep falsehood far from me. Number two. Could it be that the answer to your happiness is less and not more? How could I simplify my life? Are there things that are creating stress and clutter? How could I give away as a way of making room in my heart, in my life? Beginning to practice that generosity, beginning to eliminate the clutter, beginning to choose simplicity. There's a lightness in it. But there's also a joy in being able to give away, not, not your junk, but the things of value that you give and bestow to others. And lastly, how is God asking you to depend more on Him? What things get in the way of that dependence? What would it be like to lay aside a comfort or coping mechanism for Lent as a way of increasing dependence and intimacy? What are these ways that we can build and foster dependence on God? Some of that means stepping into greater challenge than you think you can do on your own. That's an invitation. But the truth is for all of us, God is already shaping this in us. Sometimes I think Augur's prayer is a way of helping us see what God is already doing. That God in our lives is shaping our hearts, that it would live in this place of dependence, clinging to Him, realizing that we can do all things through Him who strengthens us.